0: You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. And welcome to another episode of Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff. I am going to be your host for the next half hour. Here on Pet Life Radio, we are with me, Jeff Werber, Ask the Vets. And, you know, interestingly, first of all, I'm going to have you call in if you want, send me an email, send me a text, however you want to get a hold of me. You can reach us at 877 385 8882. Once again, 877 385 8882. You can also just send me an email, send me your questions to Jeff at petliferadio.com. That's easy enough. And if you happen to be listening live, we are maybe the only live show here. You can just go to the, our web page where it says call in every week with your pet questions. You see a picture of me there with Lassie. That's, uh, that's actually Lassie number nine. We are up to Lassie number 10. And, um, but go ahead and there at the very bottom of that next long box, you can just type in a question and I will do my best to get back to you. And if I can't get back to you now, I will call out your name at the next show. And remember, everybody who asks a question here at Pet Life Radio at Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff will get a free ProSense product, depending on what you have, or a dog or a cat, a puppy or a kitten. We will get you an appropriate ProSense product. Ship it out to you for free so you can try our products because, after all, we wouldn't be here without ProSense because they are sponsoring this show. So, anyway, I got I had a, an interesting phone call. As I'm driving to work this morning, I get a call. Yes, I had it on Bluetooth. I was not using my phone and texting and talking while I'm driving. I already got a ticket for that, by the way. Uh, And I I was in my office and we got a call from a client whose dog was in an emergency facility and was bleeding internally because of what they diagnosed as a splenic mass, a tumor in the spleen. It's really not that uncommon. In fact, when I have clients call me, that late night phone call, and tell me their dog has been pretty weak and lethargic and the belly seems to be getting a little large, I will ask them, first of all, if they are trying to vomit and the reason I ask that is dogs, especially large breed, deep-chested dogs that are bloating, or have what we call gastric torsion, they will have a big bloated belly but they are continually trying to vomit, dry heave, nothing comes up because the stomach is literally rotated on its own axis and it's blocked off so there's nothing that can come up. but With that not being a problem, I say this. I say, do me a favor and lift up the lips and tell me, what color are the gums? And when you hear the answer, as we heard this morning, well, they're pretty white. And you put it all together, dog weak and lethargic, a dog who's got a big looks appears to be a bloated belly. With white gums and right away that's telling me we are bleeding inside the abdomen so certainly they did the right thing they took her to an emergency and the emergency clinic actually put an ultrasound probe on the dog and uh, can see fluid in the belly Stuck a little needle into the belly and sure enough pure blood that is an immediate indication to explore under any circumstance unless of course you continue your search and you find that whatever might be causing that bleed is also in the liver or there also might be metastases or masses in the lungs, in which case you say to yourself, well, it'll be futile to put the dog, the poor dog, through that, to put you as the pet parent through that financially because you know the outcome is horrendous. But this particular dog had no fluid, no masses involved with the liver. The lungs were clear. Everything seemed to be just on the spleen itself. So it was a perfect candidate to go in. The problem is, is, as I'm sure some of you have found out in the past, that many of these emergency facilities, and you know, we're so glad they're there and they're equipped the way they are and they have the specialists as they do. This particular one has specialties on staff in internal medicine and oncology, surgery, dentist, you name it. So these places are really, really expensive. And the clients just did not have that kind of money. So called us and we fortunately were able to um, take care of the dog. So I was uh, sort of, Elbow deep in this uh, deep-chested dog's abdomen this morning, taking out a fairly substantial-looking tumor, well, taking out the whole spleen, actually, which will send off for biopsy. Because interestingly, and, you know, this is you know, often I will caution owners, is that you can't always go by how ugly or not the spleen looks. I've had dogs that had very minor-looking masses on the spleen that came back, what we call hemangiosarcoma, which is a splenic tumor, and our days are numbered. We can have a good quality of life until the metastatic lesions start to show up, and typically they're going to show up in the liver and the lungs. I've had dogs with the ugliest looking tumors that you can imagine on the spleen, and it came back just hemangioma, which is a benign splenic tumor. And when we took off that spleen, took out the spleen, stopped the bleeding, of course, at the same time, And that dog went on to live a totally normal life. And there's also another thing we'll sometimes see called a splenic hematoma. Now, any of you that have had dogs with some floppy ears, but it really can happen in any dog, But the ear flap called the pinna itself fills up with blood. That's called a hematoma. And that just means a blood blister. Well, interestingly, spleens can also develop hematomas. And the treatment of choice is to just remove the spleen. So regardless of the cause, whether it's the, what I call the big three, which is splenic hematoma, splenic hemangiosarcoma, or splenic hemangioma, the initial treatment is the same. The issue, the difference is with the hematoma and the hemangioma, your splenectomy is going to be curative at the same time. Where in a case of a splenic hemangiosarcoma, we will buy this wonderful dog some time. So now we're just going to wait and see. But um, did very well through surgery, and the owner's actually inside visiting the dog right now. And you know, it's one of those one of those cases, one of those um, uh, situations where you really feel good as a surgeon because, or as a veterinarian, because you get to really help an animal. Another thing, and i made this mistake before, and, and it really just got me. You know, typically, when we see these, before we go in, we're basing our call on what else might be involved on the dog's blood picture, on the x-rays that we take, on the ultrasound, and always have that beautiful, clear picture to evaluate the entire birth. So, what really upset me, and, you know, again, it's just, you know, obviously, it's always upsetting when your dog has a tumor, but I opened this dog up, realized that there were tumors everywhere, and I never, and I didn't, and I, I, I really kicked myself in the behind. I've never made the mistake again. I didn't really stress to the owner before dropping off, before us doing the anesthesia and going in for surgery that this might be the last time he'll ever see his dog again because once they're bleeding like that, it doesn't pay. You can't stop the bleeding. If you would, and obviously we wouldn't we wouldn't even be considering anything else, but that when he left the dog and we did the anesthesia and we opened the dog up, we were expecting the dog to wake up and go home, at least for, even if it were, turned out to be a hemangiosarcoma and the time he or she has with the dog is somewhat limited. But when you get that phone call and you say, gosh, you, I can't believe it. It is everywhere. This poor dog is bleeding from every possible spot it could bleed from. We really need to put him down on the table. Uh, that's a tough call. So what I do now all it takes is one of those lessons. And every time I'm taking a dog in for any kind of exploratory, I don't care what it is, I tell the owner to let us put the catheter in, get everything ready for surgery. We'll do the pre-medication, Then I'm going to put you in the room or in a room with your dog and just relax and chill and visit and hug. Because, you know, you never know. It's, uh, it's one of those sad things that it uh, it might be one of the uh, the last times you'll able to see that dog. But anyway, fortunately, in this situation, we... Uh, we, we were in good shape. So, you know, it's rewarding when you get to help a dog like that. And, uh, you know, certainly uh, I feel good that um, – oh, yeah, and I realize also is that, you know, and, and again, there are a lot of – veterinary medicine has become so specialized and so many doctors are – especially younger doctors don't have the same training. And I don't mean this in a bad way. I mean that because there is so much more information. I mean, literally four years of vet school isn't really enough. I don't think it was enough back in my day, which was 30 years ago. I think that vet school should be five years. All these people are going to hate me for saying this, but there is so much to learn that a lot of veterinarians, when they graduate, just don't feel comfortable enough with some of the things that we kind of learned how to do because we didn't have as much else on our plates. So we had just a a better feeling of of surgery. And um, when I talked to this particular client, new client for me, and I said, well, what about your general practitioner? And she said, oh, we definitely talked to them. They're the ones that sent us over to the emergency facility, but they won't do this surgery. They don't do this kind of surgery. And so it doesn't surprise me that a lot of our younger GPs uh, have sort of limited themselves to how much they'll get into surgically. And I mean, I, I never learned how to do backs. I have a very good friend of mine who graduated vet school about five or seven years before I did, and he actually does back surgery as well, which I think is amazing. I mean, the good news is, as a veterinarian, you can really do as much as you want. You just have to learn and take the time and spend time to becoming competent enough to want to do it on someone else's dog. And, and here's what I always, always recommend someone ask. And that is, doctor, if this were your own dog, would you do the surgery? And if the answer is no, then don't let him do it on your dog because I always feel that I would do nothing on a client's pet that I wouldn't do for my own. So if there's a particular procedure, a surgery, maybe sometimes it's not even a limited issue of my skill, but of my equipment, then if I wouldn't do it for me, I'm not going to do it on a client's pet. And uh, I think that's a good rule of thumb to live by. In fact, what often... I think I made this point before here on Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff on Pet Life Radio. Another plug there for Pet Life Radio. And that is that it's always important to know what you know, okay? And it's important to know what you don't know. But what gets a veterinarian or a doctor or anyone like that in trouble is when you don't know what you don't know, i.e., you think you know it, but you're kidding yourself. You really don't. And that's where. Continue education becomes important, and that's where criticism becomes important. And I, and I will tell all of my referring veterinarians, and you know, I refer to specialists in pretty much every field imaginable. And, of course, I have a pretty decent working knowledge of a little bit of everything. I say I'm definitely a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. I probably can handle roughly 80% of any case in any discipline. But that top of the cream of the crop, 20% on the upper echelon of difficulty, I'm going to refer And I always tell the doctors I refer cases to, if you're reviewing my records, if you are seeing my thought process, and I am totally off, you know, just missing the boat, I want to know. You need to call me and say, Jeff, what were you thinking? Because that's how your GP is going to learn. And, you know, if a GP is not comfortable doing something and refer it, don't say, oh, come on, doc, I know you can, I know you can, please do it. Trust me, if they could do it, they would. And um, I think that's very, it's an important lesson to learn as well. So anyway, I want to take a Quick commercial break here. We're going to come back. I have an email here from Mark, so we're going to be right back here on Pet Life Radio. Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, and we'll be back in just a minute. Once again, I want to thank our sponsor, ProSense Pet Product, and you can find ProSense products at your mass retailers like Walmart, like Target, like Walgreens. So go out and get yourselves some really good vet quality product at the mass market level. We'll be right back. <music> We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Your dog digs a hole under your fence, and the next thing you know, protect your pets with Dig Defense, the amazing new product that keeps your pets in the yard. Dig Defense is safe, fast, and easy. Each unit is made from 4-gauge galvanized American steel and can be used for repairing digouts, filling gaps, or to hold fences down so pets can't get under them dig defense provides peace of mind that your pets are contained humanely and safely visit digdefense.com today d-i-g-d-e-f-e-n-c-e.com dog shelter blues the new novel by mark conkling this hard-hitting story lights up the world of animal rescue with engaging characters and their pets struggling with their own internal demons as they attempt to rescue innocent creatures that sometimes bring a mysterious transforming power to broken lives. Read the first chapter of Dog Shelter Blues free at dogshelterblues.com then come along a breathtaking journey that ends with an astonishing triumph of good over evil. Order your copy of Dog Shelter Blues today. Available at amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. My Pets, the new single by Mark Winter, available on iTunes. Are you crazy about cats? If so, check out The World is Your Litter Box, Deluxe Edition. This clever how-to manual for cats, written by a cat named Quasi, contains more laughs than should be allowable in one book and is poignantly underscored by the combative yet loving relationship between Quasi and his human. The World is Your Litter Box, Deluxe Edition, is guaranteed to have you laughing your tail off. So, treat yourself to a copy today. Available from Amazon. Hi, I'm Lisa Smith Putnam, the host of the new and exciting show, Your Pets My Dogs, here on Pet Life Radio. Your Pets My Dogs will feature celebrity interviews, we'll talk to everyday pet owners, and more. Listen, I am here to entertain you each and every week, right here on Pet Life Radio. Again, that's your pets, my dogs. I'm your host, Lisa Smith Putnam. Your my dogs, my dogs, my dogs. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Pet <laughs> Welcome back to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio. Once again, you can call us at 877 385 8882 or just go ahead and send me a little email or a little note to dr jeff at petliferadio.com. And I am here for you to answer your questions, to save you some money, and actually to send you some free product. And what could be bad about that? That's actually ideal. And there's good stuff too. My dogs, actually, I actually have five dogs, and I have my dogs on the daily vitamin. I have my senior for the regulars and my adult for my, my younger dogs, my kind of my middle-aged. I have two seniors, and um, also my seniors take a glucosamine. Now, again, I know it's not fair to say this, that they really love it, because one of those is a Labrador. And as anyone knows who has a Labrador is they will eat first and ask questions later. They gobble up stuff so fast, you wonder, what were you thinking? And yet, he's the worst. I mean, if I ever turn around and he's not there, he somehow looks at me and sees what I'm doing and sees that I'm occupied. And he literally, to it's almost like he's tiptoeing out so nobody could see him. And I'll find him in the kitchen. He's learned how to open the fridge. He's learned how to open drawers. And he is absolutely impossible. And I should have known. I should have known because when we brought him home 12 years ago, he was head body deep into the 50 pound bag of dog chow and it tipped over or he pushed it over and there he was and he was so fat getting into that food he was like moaning all the way home and i should have known at that point oh my god i'm gonna have the typical labrador garbage can hound and um the writing was on the wall did i listen of course not but anyway he's the best dog ever anyway so um I just know the products are great and your dogs will love them. So anyway, I did get a uh, a little note from Mark in New York. And you know what's interesting is that I love this topic because there is so much controversy with this topic. And I'm telling you, just the other day, I saw a very, very well-bred, beautiful dog. And yet, I was so amazed and shocked at the vaccine histories that were brought in because I will tell you that you could talk to 10 different breeders and you're gonna get 10 different answers so you know I really think that it's a very smart idea to listen in as I'm gonna start telling you how we want stuff done or how I recommend it done uh, and that is the following I believe this is assuming that really nothing has been done or you have a breeder that you're working with that hasn't really messed anything up yet, and they have a tendency to do so, but we're going to go ahead and I'll show you my... my so this, this is the chance, as I often say, that I get to be on my soapbox. And this is my opinion, but I believe there are many out there that share it. The more I go to the conferences and we talk about vaccines and what you should be vaccinating for and how many vaccines you should give in one day and all that stuff, I think I'm pretty much now the norm. So here it goes. Ideally, for we're going to assume now A dog a puppy in your basic city okay ideally if they've nursed well when they were younger mom's immunity from the early milk we call colostrum should last them ideally anywhere from 8 to 10 weeks because I say 8 to 10 and we don't know which ones are 8 and which ones are 10 we recommend starting all the puppy vaccines at 8 weeks and what we typically do at least what I do for for Los Angeles is the distemper with all the stuff that comes with it, which is adenovirus type 2 and parainfluenza and the parvo. And that's it on day one, which is eight weeks of age. Then four weeks later, count them, four weeks. Now we're looking at 12 weeks. I will give the second set of, again, the DA2P plus the parvo. And I will add in at this point, because it's a core disease in my area, so we're talking about core vaccines. Those are the vaccines that are basically highly recommended for one's area where they live, and lifestyle. And that is, I add in the Bordetella. Now note, note that I did not say anything about the L. And the L in the DA2PL vaccine, which many people use and should use, is leptospirosis. And that really, it depends on where you live, what the prevalence of the disease is in your area, and whether or not you want to continually tax the immune system by giving a vaccine for disease that they may not ever be exposed to. So for us, if you have the typical dog, puppy, obviously it's not going hiking in the mountains, in the woods, no stagnant water and running streams and where wild animals are urinating in the water and passing the leptospira disease, then I will go ahead and not give the L, the leptospirosis. And four weeks later, now we're at 16 weeks of age, I give what I call my final set. And that is the DA2P again with the parvo and also Bordetella. Now, in many municipalities, at 16 weeks, four months of age, the rabies is also due. And again, shoot me. They can come after me, all you people, the Department of Animal Regulation. I do not like to give the rabies then, not because of the age issue. I think it's fine to give. But your last set of shots, your final puppy shots, are due at 16 weeks. And that is way too much vaccine to give to any dog in one day. So what I tell my clients, unless they're knocking on your door, unless you're going to be having a board someplace where they require it, unless you're going to be traveling someplace and they require it, hold off on the rabies for three or four more weeks. So I usually have them come back in about 20 weeks. Now, does a dog really need three sets of vaccines? And the answer to that is no. So why do we give three sets? Well, very simply, because... We know that as the immune system is developing, we know that a vaccine is probably only good at the beginning, maybe anywhere from three to five weeks. Uh, So we say usually four weeks is going to be fine. At some point between 12 and 16 or 12 and 20 weeks of development, the body is going to be able to mount that long-term immune response to last the year before the first booster is given, and and we'll talk about that in a minute. So the issue really becomes then what – Uh, Do we need to give three? Well, the answer is no. If you are starting a vaccine series on a dog, let's say you adopted it from the shelter, and it's already 12 weeks of age, then you only need to give two, 12 and 16. Let's say, however, you adopt a dog from the shelter, no vaccine history ever that you can prove that you know of, and the dog is a year. How many vaccines should you give? And the answer, I, I wish I could have a guessing game coming in so you could tell, the answer is two. Why not one? The dog's already old enough. Just give the booster. Ah, because a booster has to work and create what we call an amnestic response or a memory response based on least having had one vaccine now that vaccine could have been given when the dog was eight weeks old and now a year goes by never had other shots and you want to give a booster and you could show that when that dog was eight weeks of age it did get the first distemper parvo then that's all you need is the one more but if you don't know even if the dog is an adult you want to give a series of two you give it the first one and then you wait for three four weeks and you give the second one now we talked about the long-term booster And, oh, by the way, Bordetella, pretty much, again, for the same logic, you're only really giving it because you're starting it at 12 weeks, and you only really need two if you're starting a vaccine at 12 weeks. We only give two. Before I get on the subject of cats, I want to talk about one more thing. We believe, I shouldn't say we, many of us believe that we as a profession have been over-vaccinating. There are a few different camps out there with minor differences of opinion as far as the booster vaccines. The lead that I follow is I like after a year, just in case there was something going on with that immune system when they were puppies, you just don't know, you're not sure, I would go ahead and give a a year booster after my four-month shot, my 16-week shot. That means about a year and four months of age. After that, I do not routinely give vaccines by recommendation. I do not routinely give vaccines unless we titer first and realize there is a need for vaccine. And there's a test that can be done. It can be done either sent to the lab, it can be a test that you can run in house, and it will tell you if there is enough antibodies circulating, do not give the vaccine. Enough is enough is enough. So, what we do is we recommend, strongly recommend the titer. If the titer is low, I'll give the vaccine. And what I do here, because I don't want people spending money twice and hating me, I will give the vaccine for free. If the vaccine titer is adequate, showing adequate protection, do not give the vaccine. Now, the Bordetella vaccine you can't really titer for, and the other vaccines like corona, like Lyme disease, like lepto, these are what we call the optional vaccines depending on lifestyle. It is not, at least in Los Angeles proper, not one of the core vaccines that everybody is giving. So if you hike a lot, if there's risk of, you know, near ticks, you travel a lot with your dog where there's ticks, if you are up in the mountains, then you might consider doing Lyme disease vaccine. You might consider giving the lepto vaccine, et cetera. But to do it, uh, Corona, I think Corona is a waste. I mean, Corona, you're taxing the immune system. That's like giving a vaccine for the 24-hour stomach flu, where maybe somebody gets it maybe once every few years, right? And if you have a dog who's at risk and is getting corona disease all the time, obviously some sort of susceptibility, then of course we're going to go ahead and give it the vaccine. But to do it as a routine, absolutely in my book, positively not. Cats. Cats also, around the same time, interestingly, since cat's' immune systems, it is believed seem to develop a little quicker than dogs. Most feel, or at least many feel that a cat's immune system is well enough developed by 12 weeks. therefore, per our discussion, if you've been following, The cat only needs two, eight and 12. What I do, and I'm just a little neurotic, I will give a 16-week just to be safe. But what I saw, or the reason I started this conversation, is that this beautiful dog came in, and uh, the breeder, and they looked like they knew exactly what they were doing, gave great information. They were giving vaccines every two weeks since the dog was six weeks of age. Everybody out there, that is absolutely unnecessary, ridiculous in my book. And it's only going to hurt the immune system. Potentially starting that early is going to interfere with mother's immunity. Absolutely, positively unnecessary. So uh, again, if you see that, question it. You do not need to give vaccines every two weeks. That is so old-fashioned. Back in the day when they used to give vaccines at 6, 8, and 10, or 8, 10, and 12, that was not enough. Too many vaccines, number one, and you're finishing in 12 weeks. We've already learned that's not good enough. For a dog, you gotta finish around 15, 16 weeks of age. And they also only gave one distemper measles, which supposedly shouldn't interfere with mom's immunity in six weeks. And they were just giving the dog was four months of age, never got another distemper shot. I am not a fan of that either. So uh, anyway, Mark, I do thank you for the email. I hope that answers your questions. Stick with 8-12-16. Stick with the core vaccines in your area. Just check with your veterinarian. I would recommend when the puppy is a year, four months of age, give a one booster. And after that, don't do it again unless you have to for some reason i would recommend your veterinarian draw a little blood every year every year and a half depending on how well you've been doing let me just give you know one addendum to that there are many in my community that are pretty much anti-vaccine they just don't like vaccines for themselves let alone their pets so i've been doing the tighter testing now on certain dogs for up to over 10 years and guess what many of them if not most are continually maintaining protective immunity 10 years after a vaccine. So the bottom line is your dogs probably, for at least his temper and parvo, do not, I repeat, do not need vaccines every year, so don't do it. Maybe every three years, every four years, stretch it out as long as you can. And interestingly, I'm not going to name a manufacturer by name, but in conversations, they only on their labels talk about their vaccine being good for a year, but they will guarantee their vaccine for three years, just like the one or two companies out there that do put out a three-year vaccine. So anyway, I've given you plenty of food for thought, and I look forward to seeing you next week here on Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. I am Dr. Jeff Werber, your host. Looking forward to hearing you. Send me some emails. I will give you free product even if you send me an email to Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. And remember, the best way you can thank our sponsors is go to one of your mass retailers, whether it's a Walmart, whether it's a Target, whether it's a Walgreens, whether it's the ATV stores, some Kroger's, and get yourself, pick up some ProSense products, or better yet, give me a call and, and here at the radio show, 877-385-8882, send me a note, and get some product for free. We'll see you next week here on Pet Life Radio. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.